good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day to you all. You are listening to the Geek Stories podcast with Alex and Chris. I'm Alex and he's... Chris, hello. Yes, he's with us, he's with us. Okay, today has been a very strange day indeed. Across the radio channels, television, the news, the loss of someone highly influential... DMX. Sadly, DMX the rapper has died, but I know, Chris, that being the big rap fan that you are, you are all over this news. Tell me. Up and down, left and right, I'm all over this news. Do you know what? It's so sad. He he was a troubled artist, that man, a troubled artist throughout his life, Um, but had a massive influence. And even someone like you, Chris, who has just a a small, small understanding, knowledge of rap. Even you will have heard his songs. X gone, give it to you. You know, so I'm going to use this as an excuse away from the podcast listener to um, continue my uh, educating Chris in all things rap and hip hop. So rest in peace and much love to DMX. What, what, a, what a sad loss. However, on to happier news, Chris. What's that then? Listener, if you haven't listened to the last episode, so we really treated we really treated you last week. We gave you Easter Rickwitter on Sunday. And on Monday, I mean, come on. The legend Dennis Lawson. And if you've not seen the picture that Chris chose on social media, oh, it was epic. Old Dennis uh in what what were those films called again? In Set in Space. Star Trek. <laughs> we are so predictable. Yeah. The, uh, in Dennis, in one of his many appearances in Star Wars, that episode was listened to and appreciated not just by many of our regular listeners, but also Curtis Steigers. Get in. Curtis Steigers, Chris, tweeted us and the Gig Stories pod and. And how he was listening to the podcast, was listening to the episode, and thoroughly enjoyed it. And then tweeted it himself, saying, listen to this, Dennis is a nice lad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is very exciting, though, listener. If you heard the Dennis episode, and if not, stop this right now and go and listen. Curtis then responded to me, see you at Ronnie's, Alex. Chris, I think we've done it, mate. Well, that doesn't say that I'm invited, does it? Oh, yeah, sorry. But by saying I think we've done it, I think we've managed to get me to Ronnie Scott's with Curtis Tigers. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> and I wonder why. Don't sing. Never oh, sing. Never sing. Tears in no. Oh, my so, God. I'll be honest. That has made my day, Chris Payne. Curtis Steigers has listened to the podcast. But even if he never listens to another episode, I am over the moon with that. And of course, Chris was straight in there. Curtis, come on the podcast. So that's our next mission. We're going to go with Dennis, aren't we, to Ronnie Scott's next time Curtis Steigers is in town. And by in town, I mean two hours on the train away for Chris and I. And we're going to go. We're going to go to London. And we are going to... We're going to get Steigers. We're going to win him over with our natural charm and um, varying facial hair and, you know, glasses and hats that we like to wear and hairstyles. 
because listener, we look marvelous. So I'm excited for that. So if it's good enough for Curtis Tigers, it's good enough for you. But on to this week's episode. Episode number nine. Is it nine? It's number nine. Yeah. It's a funny one, isn't it? I, you know, I don't want to say it all the time, but this is a funny episode. Yeah, I've been editing this all afternoon and I've been laughing. I've been laughing a lot. The secret to that is get a member of the Happy Mondays, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's always going to help, isn't it? Mr. Gaz Whelan is an absolute hoot. And <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we talked to him about how the Mondays got their name. We talk about early gigs, about a specific early gig that he and the Mondays did in 1987, well, 87-88. Gaz, Gaz was a little bit unclear about some aspects of, well, <laughs> his life. But some things he was absolutely clear about, one of which was when you mentioned seeing, uh, uh, not seeing, almost seeing, the Happy Mondays oh, at, yeah. at Newport Leisure, Leisure Centre. And he was like, oh yeah, it's a Thursday. It was a Thursday. I'm like, what? I'm noticing this. With some of these musicians, actual musicians we speak to, they sort of have a bit of a, you know, their memory's a bit blurred. And I can understand that. But then every now and again, they'll just pull something out of the bag like, oh yeah, I remember that Newport Leisure Centre gig. Yeah, it was on a Thursday night. The weather was like this. And you're like, yeah, what? Like a laser they, they will just laser a completely random bit of information. Um, so so Gaz is like that. He'll, he'll forget little bits, but he'll remember some absolute pearlers. The best being, and I don't want to spoil it, drinking with some 80s bands. And let's be honest, the Happy Mondays not keeping up with these 80s bands. You'll realise why when you hear where these 80s bands came from. And we also find out about uh, a trip to the Top of the Pop Studios um, with the Happy Mondays and Stone Roses and an unexpected meeting with a soul legend. So sit back, relax and enjoy because this is a corker. It's this week's episode with Gaz Whelan. Yes, here we are with this episode's guest, the drumming legend, the beating heart of the Happy Mondays, Gaz Whelan. Gaz, thank you so, so much for being with us. How are you doing? I'm okay. It's first, first snowfall in Canada in, in Toronto this year. Oh, is it? Have you made a snowman yet? Uh, no, but uh, I've buried plenty of dog shit. <laughs> 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 How much snow do you get over there, Gaz? You know, like I say, it's the first one, the first I've had there. Like I've been in England until uh, January, but uh, it's the first one this year. Not a lot. Depends where you are. Like Quebec and Montreal, they have it a lot worse. Yeah. I'm not far from like half an hour from Niagara from the border, so it's not where we are, not too bad. I mean, you get it. We get it every... I've been here 13 years. It's only two years we've not had snow, so you do get it. But it gets pretty deep and it stays. usually comes end of December. 
Cooking up, we are old man, aren't we? Talking about the weather. <laughs> so I'm comfortable with that as well. Yeah, uh, yeah it gets comes comes the end of December and then you know, say till March. We really appreciate you joining, especially as though you know you're not in the country. But then I thought it doesn't matter anymore, does it? Now with no, Zoom. I think I think that's that's the wor- The good thing is we don't have to do that. The worrying thing is, is this the future for everything? That's me. Oh, oh, God, please tell me it's not going to be the future. Uh, well, let's, let's hope not, especially not with the theme of this podcast. No, of course um, not. Not like music, no. You know, literally, it's, it's because of this, you know, Chris and I were just lamenting actually getting out to live gigs. And we just oh. thought the closest we can get to it is chatting with each other and geeking out about it. And, you know, maybe watching live stuff on, on TV or, or whatever, YouTube. Oh, yeah, I think stream, it's not the same. Did you see that clip of the flaming lips and they had them all in bubbles? In bubbles, yeah. It looked amazing. You know, the first thing I thought was, I always need to go for a piss with it all the time. So I've got, a, I've got the bladder of a, you know, a pensioner. I'd be like, you know, what were you going for? A, what do you do? I'm, I'm so glad you said that. So for those who didn't see it, the Flaming Lips did a gig and those big inflatable see-through balls that Wayne normally comes out onto the mm. crowd in during gigs, mm. which I've been at one when he's done that and he's, it's yeah. hilarious. You were allowed, I think it was two, wasn't it? Two to a, a ball or a bubble, something like that. Those bubbles looked amazing though. I mean, it was some sight, but I mean, it did look quite alien. It looked like something out sci-fi movie I'm to worry a man of my age I remember things like Logan's Run which is not very good but you know they think oh, <laughs> Planet of the Apes of the future oh, you know and we had 20 they thought it'd be year 2000 everything would be you know we'd become you know robots to take over and we're becoming the robots aren't we that's the irony we're becoming the robots no I know and, and where's my hoverboard you know um, we were promised hoverboards by this time well a few more a few more than whiskies and you know <laughs> <laughs> this is Earl Grey by the way not whiskey yeah, he says it's Earl Grey. I'm not a whiskey fat. I only like Jameson's. This is we're straight into the rock and roll earlier. I like this. Well, I like Jay. It's the only whiskey I like Jameson's. It's like it's like it's actually seems to be the choice of the band. But the problem is I don't I don't have it because I just turn into a proper lying bastard when I've had it. As soon as I have it, I just start telling lies. Guys, man, we were really close to our first sponsor there, and then I know killed it. <laughs> oh, killed it? James, but good lies, you know, good lies. Good, oh, good. that's all right then. Nice one. So, um, Jameson's, Jameson's, James, James, James. It's only whiskey. Like I'm not. Look, I had him when I was 18. The first time I was going out with a girl called McGinty locally. I think she was in Paul Ryder's class. And they had a wake for some of, one of her relatives of Fort Island, and I, and I got on the whiskey, and I remember sliding literally right down the wall, and then telling everyone it was a load of lies. I mean, proper bullshit, you know, like, unbelievable lies, you know, unbelievable. <laughs> Hang on, well, you've you, you've given me a good gateway there because you've you've gone straight to talking about your youth, music-wise and life gig-wise. What was your upbringing, Gaz? Was it a musical home? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had, I mean, it's funny because my home, Mark Day's home and the Ryder's home, all had a piano in the house. My older sister, Tracy, learned. We both went for classical guitar lessons. I was eight, she would have been 11. In Eccles, to Eccles of all places, every Thursday night. And I hated it because I wanted to play, you know, this is in the 70s. <laughs> uh, mid-70s and uh, she was really studious really good she wanted to play piano and study Latin and do all that she never played the notes since she did she was really good and I wasn't I was just lazy and then I had a bad accident when I was 11 I lost my feeling in my hands for seven years so I had to give it up but we always had music in the house my dad my, mom, my dad loved gospel music so we had a lot of black gospel music rock and roll Elvis usual a lot of uh, Isaac Hayes a lot of uh, old 
unique spots of black music. And would this would this have been in the seventies, guys? This was the seventies, so I'd have been a young kid in the early seventies. Mid no, not early seventies, mid seventies. And used to Sunday morning used to blast it out and had Elvis and Isaac Hayes blasting out and he loved all that kind of stuff. In his Capri, he had a Capri. Remember he used to take him to all Safari's Capri, he used to have his <laughs> Elvis and Elvis and Barry White blasting out and all that. Nice. So it was always omnipresent in the house. We went down to a huge met a rock and roll gig. So it was American music that was the that ruled the roost in the house. Yeah, for them because they were kids of Charles in the fifties, weren't they? So you know, yeah. they'd met the Beatles and the Stones. Didn't like. I remember my dad liked the Stones. Didn't like the Beatles. Liked the Stones. So it was, it was always in the house. Always music all the time. Concert. I remember when I was. I wanted to be a footballer, but I was never good enough. But I remember around about being age six or seven, so mid early seventies. I remember thinking. I want to be in a band, you know. I think it was through the, ironically, through watching the cartoons, or the Beatles cartoons and the yeah. uh, Jackson 5 cartoons. And now I just thought it was, it was fascinating. Did you say your mum and dad met at a rock and roll gig? Yeah, somewhere in in, in, in central Manchester, at least. Yeah, I can't remember who they were. So I think it, it was some band from Liverpool, I think it was. I think it might have been Billy J. Craver, Dakota, something like that, or something. I, I could be wrong. Were they big gig goers then? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They even talked to my dad dying last year before they weekends they used to go into these rock and roll weekends my mum still up until just moving recently so my dad died her and Linda Ryder Paul and Sean's mum had a rock and roll Wednesdays and they did a rock and roll Wednesday every Wednesday for 30 40 years they'd drink them my mum would drink a bottle of rum and Linda drink uh, vodka and they'd have a rock and roll music every (laughs) done that for 30 40 years so yeah, music was was always always in the house, always. And, was, and, me, and I only found out recently. I didn't. I was very close to my nan. My mum, dad worked away. My mum worked nights, so she kind of brought us up a lot. She was one with the Scottish connection. Her far parents were Scottish. She uh, was a singer around town on clubs. I didn't know. My mum said she used to drag her as a little girl. She was she used to be singing around clubs in Manchester. I didn't know that. And she was a dancer. I didn't know she was a singer. And so, did you ever get taken to to gigs with you with your folks, or was that their thing? No, that was their thing. Yeah. I think we kept up. And the first, the first gig I went to was. This sounds great, but it, it, it's kind of a bit of a grey area because the first gig I went to was in seventy nine at the Apollo, and it was the specials supported by Badness and Selector. I've, I've got it in my head that it was a matinee, it was an afternoon gig because I was twelve or something at the time. And when we was getting got in the bus into town and walked up to Hardwick, we all ended up on stage at the end. It was nuts. And I watched the old gig. I was just shot. So I think. The selector were the first band, though they were brilliant, uh, and Madness were phenomenal. But when Specials came, and I just—they were my—they were my band, the Specials. Right. I just mesmerised. But I had seen a gig a couple of months earlier, Swinton Youth Club, and it was fucking <laughs> <laughs> like Sweeney's Sulphur Jets. So I don't know whether that counts. Yeah, yeah, that's that's your first gig. It's not Madness and not. the Selector and Specials. No, it's a Sulphur Jets. So it's right. oh, there you go. Uh, I I reckon we can let you have the Specials. I I think <laughs> it was one of the first took notice of the kind of Sulphur Jets thing. We were just there, and he was just playing. You know, we didn't. You know, Mike Sweeney just offering to fight anyone who didn't watch. When you <laughs> when you went to the specials gig who did you go with oh there's about eight or nine of those girls there's a group of girls in boys school we'd got into the two-ton thing you know yeah and it's funny because at school there was a it, it was me in my year maybe i was second year and then two years above me there was a couple of lads one of them was this guy called bez who was a not a complete nut. you hang around with these lads who were nuts complete nuts i knew a couple of them i've grown up with them around my lived in my street so they were okay towards me and it was him there was only there was him and uh, only a couple of lads in my year but he was the old over the older one who'd, who'd kind of adopted it he would got he had this long parker the mod revival and he was into it and i remember him he had an american parker which was really hard to get and they're really thin Bez had it used to walk around and that and he had a I remember he had this like purple purpley pink blues on french jacket that was great i was going to say were you were you in the full two-tone kit with it yeah 
I was, I loved it, yeah. From that age, was music, was it a whole package for you? Was it listening at home, live, and the look? Yeah. I mean, punk had got me first. I was I was in hospital, so I was in hospital, the, the, the accident they had, and punk had got me. I came home with my parents' part, we'd have minor bollocks for coming out. I mean, it, I think they'd even split up by then. And that just completely changed my life. But there was an older generation who were into punk. You know, it was older generation than me. Mm. Same with Northern Soul, my sister's generation, or even older. So I kind of was aware of it, it was around it, but it wasn't the first music genre movement for my generation to get into was two-tone. Yeah. And is that you You jumped headfirst into that? Oh, silly. I bought a Trilby, bought the park, and I got the, you know, the full lot, the brogues. So yeah, I completely loved it. And in Manchester, was was there a big scene? Was there a big two-tone scene? Were you able to see live Scar? Yeah, it was massive, yeah. But it was massive. We, yeah, we used to go, and all the youth clubs adopted that then, but live gigs, you had to go, obviously had to go into town. So, yeah, and there used to be a shop in town, uh, the underground market off Market Street. There used to be a shop, we used to sell all the gear there. That had been a punk shop called Roxy. So, yeah, we used to hang out there and do all that, yeah. I, I, I want to know who else you saw in those sort of days before you started playing. I saw the specials a couple of times. I saw Secret Affair and then four... So then I got into the Echo and the Bunnymen. Oh, yes. About 14, 15, 14 maybe it was... Uh, and the bit I got into the Beatles. The Beatles couldn't, but obviously didn't see them. The Beatles kind of on Christmas Day that just changed me, my life completely to this day. And uh, but I got into I was on the bus number ninety coming back from Manchester. And I got into on the bus and who's of lads of my years. We learnt another mod called Airsy, Paul Airs. I think he lived in Bessie Street up in Worsley, and he uh, had this album. And I said, "Who's that?" And said, "Welcome the Bunny Man." He went, "What a great name! Who are they? What?" He said, "Oh, go listen to that and bring it in to school on Monday. It was a Saturday morning school." And I said, "Seriously?" And it just completely blew my socks off. Actually, he didn't. It was a cassette he gave me. He was in like a cigarette passage. Shattered <laughs> off the wall of Zimo and all that, and, and, and it was alive. It was a live uh, EP. It's in a cigarette box. What's it called? And it blew, anyway, it just completely blew me away. And then that was it. And I went, saw them a couple of times. I went to see them in Stanley Park. We went to school and went. That was a Thursday night. Paul Ryder took me. Oh, in over in Liverpool? Yeah, I was only 14. And they spotted me from Manchester, by the way, we were dressed. That's the, that's the famous gig. Is that, that's, that's become... Yeah, it was a Thursday night. And, uh, it was crazy. Yeah. It was nuts. But I was like 14 and Paul Ryder was driving. So I'm 17, maybe I was 14, 15. And we drove us there and the two of us went. I think another lad, mate of Paul Ryder's went. can't remember his name. I've seen that gig. Do you oh. know that gig was recorded? This one... Yeah. Um, and... Um, Is it for Arena or something? TV special it was for? Yeah, something like that. So you saw the Bunny Men back in the day when they were sort of backlit. It was all very dark. Cloud, you know, like, yeah, it was very atmospheric. So where does your musicianship come into play, sort of time-wise here? When did you start? Yeah. It, was it them? Was it? Did you go straight to the drums or did you go via? No. no well, it was, like I say, it was a guitar that I'd wanted to play. I didn't really want to be a shredding guitarist. I, yeah. I wanted to play rhythm guitar, acoustic, and sing and do my own kind of songs and do, you know, Leonard Cohen kind of thing that I've done. And I'll be in a band. I didn't really want to, I wanted to be the, the singer of the rhythm guitar. I didn't really want to be the big guitarist. But I was too shy to be a singer. I was, you know, happy to hide behind. I was too shy, too self-conscious. So I... Uh, I bought a drum kit because my mate at school, PD, the keyboard player, the one who's bought a bass, he wanted to be Sid Vicious. And a guy called Anthony Perkins, not the actor, Tony Perkins had, had got a guitar. So I just bought a drum kit. Well, my nan bought me a drum kit and I never really played. We didn't ever go around to practicing or doing anything. I used to do, I had it in my bedroom for years. I used to hide me uh, gentlemen's magazines in the bass drum, you know. <laughs> What, Match and Shoot and Roy of the Rovers? Yeah, them kind of things, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. De- de- there's definitely one called Shoot, anyway, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Not 90 minutes, then. No, it wasn't, yeah. 
<laughs> uh, so when would you say was the first time you sort of played in a band then? No, there's been uh, there's a girl in my class called Bev, and she had an older sister, Denise, who's this like David Bowie thing, and she was going out with a guy called Sean Ryder, and they were getting married. So as well, Sean, he's five, five years older than me, so I didn't really, you know, see him around. And Paul Ryder was two or three, and I met Paul Ryder briefly once before through various friends, but he was a couple of years older than me as well. And they had a band, so Denise used to give me these tapes, and they doing... Joy Division covers in Depeche Mode, but no drummer, drum machine, and then a guitarist. And then there was a guy called Nigel Day in my year, who was a two-tone kid, completely nuts. He had an older brother, five years older than him, called Mark Day. He was into every rock, and I met, I'd seen Mark around. And they both saying, they'd rehearse in this school, that I'd, they had to, ironically, the classroom I'd, I'd learned to read and write in. Uh, every Thursday, I thought, it can't be the same band. One's every rocker, the others are like, you know. Perry boys in the bowling cap, and I kept putting it off. And then one day I just wandered in on the thirty to see Sean and Paul's band. It was very much Paul's band, and they liked the way he dressed. And they just said, "Oh, have you got a drum kit?" Because Sean had tried to be the drummer. John, what? Sean wanted to be the drummer. Sean. Wanted John worked to be the drummer, yeah, he'd had a drum kit, all we worked to be the drummer. Brilliant. In fact, he told me in a recent interview about that, about something, because I'd forgotten about it. Yeah, and he worked to be the drummer, and he said, "Oh, I'll show you a few things." He didn't. <laughs> uh, and we just started uh, jamming but I wasn't too interested the drums never really grabbed me you know they never it never really uh... and then I went to see the Bunnymen and it was Will Sarge's guitar which just blew me away but Peter Frakes' drumming just I was just like not he wasn't so much he was technically a great drummer or anything just tasteful just cool just really cool drumming and tasteful and that was it absolutely he was my hero I'm still to this day him and Donald Johnson from a certain ratio the two taught me to play so I kind of combined a bit of that with sloppy funk drumming that Donald taught me and, and, and that was it And then, but Peter Frakes I wanted to be a drummer after that I thought I wanted to be a drummer for a while lasted a couple of years but you know how long did um, rehearsals take place until you had your first gig well we did we used to play we rehearsed once a week Two hours and we'd go to the local pub, the morning star, for a drink. And then we had booked a gig at the local community centre. And there was just like 40 of our mates there. Well, not even our mates, but brothers' mates, younger people, people who wandered in. No PA, we just set up and did four songs. Where, where was, can you remember exactly where that was? Yeah, yeah, it's near my mum's now. It's on Ash Drive. I still go, I went past it, did a video on it a, while, a few years back. Still going, yeah, community what, centre. What's it, what's it called? Wardley Community Centre. It's facing Wardley School. It's facing Ambrose Barlow. Wardley School was knocked down where I went to, me, Mark and Bez and Paul Davis went to, and they built a new school there, Ambrose Barlow, which was two miles away, a mile away, which Sean and Paul went to, ironically, which is there now. So it's just near my mum and dad's. See, because I happen to live down the road, so yeah. I'm I'm going to make a visit. And put a blue plaque on the wall. Well, do you know what's, you know what's funny? You should say that. Some of the girl who manages it was one of my old neighbours, and she got in touch last year and said, oh, should we ask for a blue house? The first gig of a plate, so I said, it's off the council, so I said, yeah, why not? And they got in touch with the Sovereign Council said, no, join the queue and like everybody else and apply. And someone from Manchester, got, so I mentioned that on Twitter, and someone from Manchester Council got back and said, we would, because it comes under Sulphur, it's not our jurisdiction. Oh, God. Weird Sulphur Council. I think, I think they're a bit ashamed of us. <laughs> Were you already called the Happy Mondays at that first? Sure, we had changed it that week, but we didn't advertise it. We were called Avant Garde. I know, I know. I think I knew that. I think that, yeah, that's a belt of that. Over the years, I've heard different... Where did Happy Mondays come from, the name? We were in the... We were in. We have a couple of different sources. I remember we were sat in the, in the morning star having a drink afterwards and we were all arguing and the bunny men's, the cutter had just come out and there's a, there's a middle eight section where it breaks down and he says, and by the happy loss, by the happy loss, 
Paul Ryder thought he said happy laws, as in law, L-A-W. So we called, we said, what about happy laws? We went, mm, go on, it's, we'll sleep with that. We made that for about a week, and then when we was back in the pub, Paul Ryder just said, what about happy Mondays? It's a Monday or something like that. And we all went, that's shit. Well, let's, let's, let's stick with it. So we just did. We just went with it because we got sick of, you know, coming up with stupid names. And we just weren't, it just didn't seem that important. A name just wanted one, so we just kept with that. I think we'd wanted it for that gig, but it was too late. You know, it's not advertising, you know. It was not advertising for a little gig like that. But yeah, so yeah, we just stuck with it. That's what my recollection of it. It was definitely, we definitely came from the, the bunny men, the cutter, the happy loss. Even just playing that first gig to your, you know, your mates and whatever. Did it feel good? Did you think, oh, I like this? No, I, 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 yeah. You know what? None of us have ever been really comfortable on stage. I think that's where the drink and the drugs maybe came in. You know, right? Okay. Uh, all very, you know, that kind of textbook, you know, working class insecurity. You know, and all being class into it. We you know what I mean. That you know, uh, especially from that that era. You know, you you don't go and do this. You know going to building site or whatever. So there was always a lot of that. So were none of you sort of, you know, let, let's go with Sean because he became and is the lead vocalist. Was not even Sean a bit of a show-off? Was, were none of you sort of that kind of show-off-y? Mark, Mark is. Mark Day is pretty confident he is. But no, Sean was his, no, no, the same Sean. In fact, me, Sean and Paul are very sh- really shy. Mark's not. He's best shy. Uh, yeah, in some ways, best as well. But he's, he's, he's just a, he's a people person. You know, he likes to I was looking at the most recent gig that I photographed of you guys and probably 90% of the photos are of Bez. It's just everyone else is in the shadows. Everyone, I mean, I've got a couple of belters of Paul Ryder looking down at me, directly at me looking like he wants to rip my throat out. Yeah. <laughs> he's, got, he's got a look when he's on stage. Uh, I've not I've not met Paul, but I know that <laughs> when he's, when he's yeah. looking down the camera, he looks like he's going to, Absolutely break every bone in your body. He's concentrating. Yeah, he's probably concentrating. He's just mostly. I'll show you the person. picture, but my God, it scared the living bejesus out of you. Well, that's why I think Bed Bed is good. He plays an important role because he, you yeah. know, if it was just us, we'd be, be, be boring. You know, we'd all, we're all very, you know, I used to angle my symbols so he can see me. What I did realize in that gig was because I thought, we'll do this for a few years and I'll start my own band. Was that, oh, if I'm self-conscious sat here behind the drums, I'm going to be really self-conscious singing up front. So I kind of got out of my head that I was going to go and form my own band and be a singer and play with guitar because I just thought, which is a stupid, rash decision because it just won one gig, my first gig, but yeah. Oh, so that's when you thought, right, I'll stay behind the drums, thanks. Mm. <laughs> no, it's true to hide. It's true, that's true, yeah. So Chris and I, we, we have this thing where we spoke about ticket stubs. That, as I told you, mm-hmm. you know, we both uh, over the years have collected our ticket stubs. Now, I do like to ask some people surprise me and say, yeah, yeah. And then some are like, not a chance. Do you have any ticket stubs at all, Gaz? I've not got anything. <laughs> Honestly, I've not got anything. I've not even got... I haven't even got the memories. <laughs> <laughs> I've never collected anything. I wish I had. I've, I've lost, I've lost drum kits. I've lost them. I forgot where, where they're stored. I've lost guitars. I, 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 yeah, we're not, we're just not very, uh, it's not sentimental, is it? It's something you should keep a look at. I just don't know. Have we just. Oh no, Chris and I were geeks. Well, my, my story is, is that sadly, not sadly, but my first ticket stub is Michael Jackson, right? 
followed by The Shaman. However, my first ticket stub should have been The Happy Mondays, right? Now, this was the Yes, Please tour in yeah. October 1992. And I was 14. And yeah. so it was at Newport Leisure Centre. Now I remember I don't... it. Oh, you don't, do you? It was a Thursday night, wasn't it? It was a Thursday night, I remember it. Are you kidding me? Yes, it was a Thursday night. Yeah, yeah I remember it. <laughs> wow, that's, re- that's recall. No, I remember it. And me and, me and my best mate, the, the deal was we were only allowed to go, because we lived in Cardiff, so it was, you know, a train journey, and we were only allowed to go because his old, my mate's older brother was going to take us. Well, he goes out, gets absolutely hammered, <laughs> and we're, two of us are left waiting in Cardiff. So we didn't end up going to see the Happy Mondays on the Yes Please tour. And it's... It, it was a bad time. I remember it was, it was a square room. It was a square room and they'd put in like bleachers, they call them. They don't know, you know like yeah, seats. Yeah, that's right. Bleachers. Back, yeah. yeah they call it. And I remember the sound was just dreadful because it was like a big gymnasium. Well, not gymnasium, you know what it was. Yes, it is. No, no, it, you are absolutely right. Because it's Newport Leisure Centre. And it is, you are right. It's gymnasium. And they put bleachers in the back. Oh, right. oh. Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I do remember it though, yeah. Can, do you know what? I'm, I can't believe you even remember that, 92 and the yeah, night. Some you remember, some you remember, some you don't. I, I... <laughs> but remembering the actual day, oh my God. Yeah, that's yeah, really... I, 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 I remember things like that, I just don't remember the actual gigs usually. Chris, when was the first time you saw the Mondays live? Um, it was in 19... I'm looking at my records, Alex. And Gaz, mm. oh, he's got his file there, Gaz. I kid no, you actually, not. I think it might well have been 99. It was um, the SECC in Glasgow. Oh right, was that? Is that the what? What is that? The one that's in the middle of a shopping centre? Well, it's massive. I mean, it's it's kind of the Glasgow's Glasgow's MEN, or it was anyway, the Glasgow's Arena. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was a big old big old venue. Barrowlands is a venue, though, isn't it? Barrowlands is just stunning. Yeah, don't don't get me started. We'll never stop. Do you know what you've mentioned? You've mentioned venues there, so I'm I'm. We're going to ask you later about that, but I'm going to ask you now as it's come up and you're, th- you're thinking about it. Do you have, Gaz, do you have memorable venues? Do you have ones oh, that yeah. you think, I love this one, whether it's because of the sound or the atmosphere or, I don't know, something else that we just, as punters, we wouldn't know about? I've never played at Manchester Apollo. Well, not with the Mondays anyway, which I really want to do. What? Uh, Oh, the album. Oh, no, I never played at the Apollo on the Mondays. I, I, I love that venue. Well, that gig I was talking about where I photographed you, was it Was it 2019? I think it was just 2019, wasn't it? Um, I was surprised you were playing at the Ritz. I thought it would be the Apollo. Did we play at the Ritz? Yeah, it was at the Ritz. Have we played? Oh, yeah, we did play. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you, know, you can get, I know, I, yeah, Manchester's that much of a nightmare because of your guest list and family. You forget, you, you all get lost in a... Yeah. Uh, no, I think, I said, the, the, the most important gig for Barrowlands is always a great one. I love Argentina and Tokyo. Actual, actual venues, though, it's kind of hard when you're on stage because you kind of, you're not, you don't get absorbed. Uh, Brixton Academies I love as well. And the Roundhouse is a good gig as well. That's a really good gig. Uh, but I think our most important gig, I think it must have been, I don't know even know the year, but I'm guessing 87. And uh, it was a January, Tuesday night, freezing, pissing down. And it might have been 86. No, it was 87. It must have been 87. And we travelled down to London to play a, a small pub called the Cricketer's Arms in uh, the Oval, Kennington. Kennington Oval, right across from the cricket ground. We didn't have an audience or anything there. I think it probably might be the first time we played in London. And uh, we got there. 
and it's a little pub stage in, in the corner. The guy come out and said, there was literally, the cliche, there literally was five people and a man and a dog sat at the bar on the stools smoking. <laughs> you could smoke in a day's drink with his dog. And he had a pen and he was writing all the time. So I thought, oh, he's one of these tortured poet souls probably been in there all day. And uh, he was a little in the corner and the guy cut to us, the, the, the owner and said, listen, no one's bought a ticket. No one's coming. Not even had an inquiry. It's a Tuesday night in January. You know, no one knows you. I'll pay your expenses. You don't even have to play if you don't want. So I was like, all right, okay. I didn't want to play. I thought, no, fuck it. Just go back home and drive down back in the van. But I think it might be one of Bez's first gigs. I think Bez had just joined us or he was either in the band or he was just standing around with us. And uh, everyone was like, Derek, the uh, Paul dad was saying, no, no, do it. It's a practice on stage. Just do it. Just do it. It's like a rehearsal. So we said, yeah, okay. And the guy said, Brilliant, the owner said, listen, I'll give you your expenses, I'll feed you all, and I'll give you booze while you're playing. Okay, so we did it, and we, we didn't even do a long set, but while we were doing it in between songs, we are doing, you know, the old Beatles thing of smoking and cigarettes and drinking and having a laugh and unplugging each other's equipment and playing, you know, and winding <laughs> each other up and get an argument like we always do. We did the gig, and it was actually really good because there was no pressure. Thought nothing of it, got paid, went home very drunk and whatever, and... Stoned, I presume. We got home, and then uh, that was a Tuesday. Then the following Wednesday, Paul Ryder used to drive to Piccadilly Station when he was a postman to get the enemy a day early. He got the enemy on a Thursday in, in Western England. All of London got it on the Wednesday. But it came through on the trains Wednesday night, and he, he used to do that every week anyway. He just got it, you know, and he opened it, and there was a review of us. I felt like half a page, and it was the guy with the dog. It was a, It was Melody Maker, so not enemy, or Sounds. It wasn't any means. It was Maker or Sounds. I think it was Melody Maker. And the guy with the dog was a journalist who'd just gone in oh. for a drink. He wasn't even interested in the band, just gone in for a drink and was going to leave. And the review was something along that, you know, I'm paraphrasing completely because he said something like, I don't really remember so much about the music. I was just, I was just completely uh, mesmerised by what, by what I saw on stage. It was just something, I've, and music's never going to be the same since. I don't know what I've, I don't know what I've witnessed. I don't even know if I see him again, they'll be awful, but it was just something that, and it's the future. And after that, Interviews just flooded in, you know. So doing that gig was really, was really, really important. Oh, if only we could find out who that journalist was. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. The, the two that got onto it really early was a guy called there was a guy called Del Fidel, who was a who's just recently died, a Nigerian guy. There was a guy called Jack Barron, but he wasn't any of them. And uh, and so that that gig then sort of uh, unsuspecting gig was, you know, really. Did something for you, boys? Yeah, I think the most important gig we did. We never did it. We, never did, we uh, nearly never did it. It's just fate, yeah. Yeah. Always play the gig. Always play the mm. gig. You mentioned that you slipped in there, that you like playing Argentina and Tokyo. Mm. Do you see, and I know it might be harder for you as a drummer at the back there, do you see or feel a difference in the audiences when you travel around the world? Yeah, you can do. You actually feel it quite a lot as a drummer because... You're playing the loudest instrument and you get to sit and see, you know, apart from looking at their asses all the time, you know, I can, you know, I can spot their asses. Am I, you know, <laughs> so yeah, you, you get to kind of see it and absorb it, like, you know, a goalkeeper thing. You get to watch the, you know, they make, goalkeepers make good captains. You know, they all say drums make good producers because they're at the bat and they kind of, you know. Yeah. I've been doing this for a long time. There, there's so many football analogies that you can apply to the band and that idea of a, a goalkeeper or a defender being a captain is a good because they can see the whole pitch. And I think, yeah. I think there is something something to be said 
um, for you know drummers drummers being the kind of the fulcrum, the the, the heart of the the band really. I mean, you know my my opinion on drummers anyway. Mm, yeah, because you've yeah great photography by the way. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, well, it, it kind of I find I find drummers coming too. I thought you could attribute this to anyone, but I, I find with drummers over the years it, that have a the very straight ones focused on the complete weird weirdo freaks. You know, they have one or the other. Where do you fit? That's which I am. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm neither. <laughs> uh, I don't really consider myself a drummer, just a musician. I don't really, you know. I'm, no, I do. See, see, there I go. Because you're a drummer. I do, but it's not. It, my focus in the band was always, you know, co-writing the songs and be like the drums were kind of the last thing that came into my mind. And you know, we've not done a gig since last December. I've not picked a drumstick up since then. You know, it's been 13 months. I've not picked a drumstick up then. It's so funny because you came along at a time for me personally where I'd gotten out of pop, but um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of guitars, wasn't there? You know, the, mm. the guitar scene was happening, whether it was heavy metal, um, the Seattle thing, the Nirvana thing, mm. you know, and what immediately hooked me was to the, to the Mondays when I first heard it, Played, played to me on a cassette by my sister's uh, boyfriend, who used to drive down from Manchester every now and again to Cardiff, <clears throat> was the rhythm section. And for me, the, the, the Happy Mondays is, is personally, is all about the rhythm section, the bass and the drums. It was such a groove, and it just sounded so different to other stuff that was out there. By accident, I mean, Tony Wilson used to say that all the time. He used to constantly say, I mean, yeah, he, he's got in his book somewhere. He's, he's, he's done, he did an interview with the Daily Telegraph because they'd done a review. We played at London and they did a review and the Telegraph had said, the review was something like, it was all about the, the drums and bass. They wrote about that. And Tony Wilson found out the journalist was and did an interview with him. And Tony used to always say that. You know, everyone plays a part, you know, it's like, it's by pure accident, me, Paul. It's, it, it is, if you listen to the early Monday stuff, it's definitely a cross between the bunny men and and Sly and the Family Stone, you know, there was, you know, we, we were very cautious. We, everything was very organic, but we were very cautious. Never, nothing was contrived or pre-planned, and, but we were obsessed by not doing them endings, you know, like, doom, 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 you'll never see us ever do them. You yeah, know, yeah. and it was uh, never anything cliche, and, uh, you know, there was never any cliche parts. We just look at each other if we did it. It was all about keeping it grooving and, and just leaving it for, you know, for them to, and we, and we could get away with being a bit, commercial sometimes because you know Sean would stop it and Mark would you know Mark was on his own trip you know his every metal trip which we hated him we tried to stop him but if he'd, if he'd been on the same wavelength as us it probably wouldn't have created what we created mm. so everything just all plays a part you know it's funny because I can now you've mentioned your influences right from your dad mentioning gospel and you mm. talking about the selector and I can I can hear it I can see that you absolutely brought those influences to your own sound, especially the Bunnymen. I know what you mean in 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 the the earlier Monday stuff, more guitar. Yeah, yeah this is the bass lines. This is the bass lines. The early one stuff, very you know. But with like you know, Paul would throw in some mad long funk run from James Jameson or Larry Graham in the middle, of it, and he'd play he'd play like kind of the Bunnymen style, but with his well with with the uh, with Sly Stone and you know and and soul music playing through his veins live then playing specifically live there's such a groove to the mondays that i love and it is you know a loose fit there's a loose vibe to the mondays live how loose are you actually musically was there ever jamming involved did you ever change things spontaneously or were actually 
you tight and you all knew exactly what you were playing? Both. We tight. We're a bit like the Stones. We tight, but we knew we knew it was playing. We were tight. We were actually surprisingly tight, considering we have to be because we played to a click track. So from the early eighties, we played. We back it like what the order did. Would have keyboards and stuff and, and orchestras and stuff, all that kind of stuff on backing track. So you've got playing time. Now it's impossible anyone to play in time. You can't hear it, so you have to what's called. That's why I have earphones and a click track. So I've got the track, I've got something. So you've got to be stead on in time. The irony is you're only in time and you don't hear it. So you get to play just behind it, just in front of it, and you move around it. People don't play with that. I quite like playing them now. I got used to it. So you have to, so you're fairly tight. But you get to play, you get when you get good at it, you get to play loose around it. So it's like it's going like that, but you're playing around it but in time. Right. So, but we're kind of loose because we was heavily sedated. Now, because <laughs> because a lot of rehearsing was jamming. You know, we we wouldn't sit down and work out. Part we just it all happened organically. We was, we just did it like that. But we played a lot. You know, people think you know we did tons of gigs. We played from eighty. We started our first gig was eighty three. So we kind of got an audience in eighty eight. You know, then five to six years we've constantly gigged. We constantly played. Was it was it around about ninety two ninety three that you stopped for a bit? Was it ninety three? Early ninety three, yeah, ninety three. After we got back, see that that'll be why I I had, didn't see until later on because the yeah. first band that I remember seeing with Bez and and Sean was was Black Grape, and I saw them about three times or four yeah. times. And ironically, they played the Apollo in Manchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw them. I went to that gig. But I reckon the first gig that that I saw was one of the first tours that you you had after you. Hmm. You reformed actually in '99. It was you can't have, it can't have been much before that. I, have thought. I can't remember. So it sounds a lot off to Australia after that. Uh, no, no, where did I go? Oh no, I didn't, I didn't get to Australia in '93. I went into depression in '93. That's what I did. I went to a dark place for a few years. Yeah. See, I think this is relevant to to the live. Is that when because it's, if anyone knows anything about you from social media or anything like that, they'll know that you are very much into your Buddhism into yoga into looking after yourself now people might think that you're you're hammering life but you sort of drink moderately and you're a healthy i mean you're healthier than i am when did that start i was always like that from being young i was i've always been like that i've always had a but because of me depression problems that affects your digestion so i've always just made me made myself ill all the time so i've always I just at the moment. I'm not. I'm not completely like that. I still, you know, I was smoked. I was. I started, at least that's what I was twenty though. And I'm even now. You know, I've not done yoga for about five days. Some day, you know, I have bits on weekends. Because I was going to ask if that gave you some kind of renewed focus when you were playing. Oh no, I'm constantly fine. I've got. I have mental issues, mental health issues of OCD and depression. So they're my main focus. So weekends, I, I you know, I tend to drink a lot. And I'm just a knob at weekends, you know what I mean? I'm just a turn to a knob for a couple of days. <laughs> Fair play. I, I, I just, I, I like, if I don't exercise, depression gets worse, you know. I, I mean, I'm not a runner, but I like to walk, cycle and do breathing. I do bricks, breathing, lots of esoteric stuff and all that, reading and trying to work on my mind. And, you know, it's an ongoing, do you know what? I, I know this is probably going to be unusual for a, a podcast, but I'm really, really, I've had about four cups of Earl Grey tea. I really need to have a piss. And it's literally the next room. Can you give me 20 seconds? No, that's fine. Me too. We stop this. We cut this bit out and we just carry on. Don't cut it out. Leave it in. Do you know what? I'm, I'm going to go as well. We're all, all going to go. Right, I'll leave the microphone on. Love it. I'm going to leave it recorded.
back next. Yeah, Alex is back. Oh, and here's Gaz. <laughs> That's a cut it short. Would it have been there all day to miss the game? Prostate, <laughs> prostate problems, eh? I don't, I don't know. And welcome, welcome back to the Tiny Bladder podcast. <laughs> it is. It's like, oh, no, unbelievable. You know what? I think I might keep that in and then just put a little bit of lift music in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, or brrr, waterfall music. Yeah, or vision on, something like that. So I was going to say, the fitness thing is more for mental health and esoteric things. So, like, I'm not eating today. I do lots of uh, fasting and uh, walking and meditation and uh, binaural beats. I do lots of like, subconscious stuff. To, it's all for mental health. But but do you do you find that all that helps when you're yeah. when you're gigging now? When you're gigging, does it help give you focus and energy? Well, it does until I have a beer, and then that just goes out of, out of the window, and it just yeah. You know. Yeah, and the rest of the band kind of tap into your your knowledge. No, you know what? You know what's funny? The, the person who, who who I'm very similar to, like, they all think I'm just stupid and idiot. Laugh. Paul Ryder, who's my climate closest friend, just laughs. It's just we're just very different, you know. Uh, but Bez, me and Bez are very similar. Lots of ways like that. We talk about we read similar books and we talk about stuff. And uh, I mean, Bez are very similar. We're very different, but we're very similar. We, we we agree on many things. We know that the mind is part of the universe, and you know, quantum physics is it's crossing over into uh, into spiritualism now. So it's not even things you preach are not even hippie spiritualism. It's quant- you know, quantum physics has proved it. So I'm into all that kind of mind over matter. So, you know, uh, psychology of uh, biology of belief, Bruce Lipton, and all that kind of stuff. I find it fascinating. I could have a whole chat to you about that. I find that fascinating. So that's my health regime rather than for, you know, physical fitness or, you know. And I'll be honest, I like that because I think if you just ask your layman on the street who knows the Happy Mondays, they would never have said that. But you know, nothing's what it seems. You know what? Funny Tony Wilson once said to me, once, I'll never forget it, Tony Wilson said, nothing's what it seems. It, you know, nothing never is what it seems. It isn't. It's like, you know, when someone asked me when we got back from Barbados after all the stuff that was going on there, you know, what was you doing over there? So I said, well, I got my drums in early on and I, I didn't have any. Like, I just I was smoking local local weed, local herb, which was great. And I was trying not to drink and I was late. And uh, I read I, Claudius, Robert Graves, and uh, I read the uh, Omar's Iliad, and I read them two books. I was there, and when I said it, I remember the interview. I remember. Was it the words? Did you tell me this? It was somebody from the word who'd who'd come. I've spoken. And... I've spoken to you about this before, probably. Yeah. I probably told you. I've told you. Yeah. What happened? Yeah, yeah. No, you don't believe me. I thought I was being sarcastic. I said no, I really did. And it's like people think Bez is really well read. Really, really well read. You know, it's like when. Uh, with similar books we read and his history and stuff, and you know, he doesn't, he doesn't always articulate himself because he's excitable. So, do you were doing that whilst the and we will refer. I know exactly what you mean. Mm. Well, the Barbados. Yeah, I mean, it was. I had my moments. Listen, I'm not trying to say I'm Mr. Innocent. I was, you know, I was a drinker and a smoker, and I caused enough chaos. But you know, I wasn't, I wasn't uh, the innocent party. But because I got the drums done first, I went and my wife came over. Who's uh, still my wife today? And we went to a cottage in the middle of nowhere. Off this old, off this mad. We've got this cottage. It was circular. It was an old black girl who was, who was a seventies model. Those pictures are in studio. 58 that kind of, and she lived in Switzerland now she's always like she looks a bit like him and uh, Debbie Bowie's wife and you know and, and she had this house it's all white and circular with a little it was nuts and we just we got a big bag of weed and uh, some Guinness and we just sat there and it's uh, red you know red and sat there. it was brilliant and then okay, so you took yourself away from it well yeah I knit back a little bit and all that and then the uh, and then Sean they asked Sean if he could come and stay with us to get him away from it all and he did and the first night he came, <laughs> he, went, he, he came, he said, uh, they're taking the car keys off him. So we'd, we'd got the bed early, me and the missus, because obviously we were smoking. And, I, and we, I say early, don't, you know, it wasn't too early. 
No. <laughs> and uh, we got a bang on the door, and he was like, oh, Sean was like, I was like, what? He went, yes, can I borrow your car? And I was like, I knew I was coming. I thought, he's not going to let me go inside. So I just said, yep, the keys are over there. Just bottle, do you look after it? Okay. About three hours later, I banged on the door. Kaz, yeah. Uh, I've had a bit of an accident. Uh, the car's okay. Well, it's not okay, but it's uh, the roads are really bad here, and the roads were bad, to be fair. <laughs> and I go out, and half the car's missing. But he's got, <clears> I, open the door, I open the door, the bedroom door, and he stood there, and his face is covered in blood. No, and uh, I was just, you know, I've been smoking. It's three in the morning. Woke up, Sean's there, three in front of blood, covered in blood, and I'm just like, ah, you know, are you okay? You okay? He was, he was okay, to be fair. He just got me okay and all that. And then, so then they took him back away from that. So then, just the first night. <laughs> so this was the same time that the word were across, and were they, they were filming a piece on. No, you, that, was in, that, was in, that was in that was in Los Angeles. That was in LA. Well, what I remember from what you were telling me was that you were reading this book and, and smoking a joint, and, and they said, well, you can... Oh, off camera, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was, that was the word. I can't remember what was I reading. I was reading something else there, yeah. You can keep the joint, but you're going to have to put the books away. That was... God, I forgot about that. That was, that was in the studio with... Uh, this is a true story. That was in the studio when we was in prison. The word would come over and the French TV, and the French TV did it first. Don't know who they were. And they filmed it, I was reading, and I'd got the book off <laughs> the lead singer from The Cult, Ian Ashbury. Ian Ashbury. Who, bizarrely, lived for four years about three miles down the road from me in Canada. A neighbour told me he was once a, a, a newspaper boy, which I didn't believe and looked up, but he did. Anyway, he, he used to come to the studio every day. We didn't know because he had these glasses on, his hat on and hair, and he was with this, uh, I think she's Japanese, I could be wrong, girlfriend. And uh, we just called Scout Ian, and he was in the studio every day, just sat there, Capital Studios it was which was built on the money of uh, Nat King Cole. And the same studio Pet Sounds was recorded in. I'm, I'm, I'm going on too much here. No, I love that. No, really. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the word came in, and he asked me, brought me a book. We both had a, a love for Native Americans. And he brought me a book, uh, and I'd, I, one of my favourite books had been D. Williams, Bearing My Heart, Wounded Knee. And he'd, he'd written a follow-up, and it, he hadn't got published, and he'd got hold of it, or something like that. I can't remember the story a long time ago. I was reading that, but it was getting, uh, and it was also... With that, he gave me a William Burroughs book. So I was reading William Burroughs, and they said you can't, you know, you don't, it's not a fit. And I didn't realise why at first. I thought, oh, and that's it just didn't fit into the narrative. And and I think mm. the rest of the band didn't want it in as well. They didn't, you know, if they, I think the fear would be looked at as like being like James or something, you know. <laughs> I understand that, you know, because it's all, it's all, I understand it completely. And then I understood it, and he's like, but I'm just, you know, I, I, it all plays a part in it. I completely understand that. I get that, you know. You did get pushed into the sort of the party band. Didn't you? Well, this thing that before we were well, and you know, there's some bands that were all parties. You know, we got drunk on the table by Wet 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 Heathrow Airport once. Right. Sat next to Les McEwen. Yeah, two story. And then uh, also went out for a drink with Aha. They drank us under the table. The keyboard player, the skinny ones, miserable though. But the singer, <laughs> another one, two great lads. Uh, who else? Who else drank us under the table? Wet 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 and Aha. Oh, tough lads. They were the Clyde Bank. You don't mess with Wet 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 and uh, Clyde Bank and also Scandinavians. Come on. <laughs> They got twenty four hours of darkness or twenty four hours of light. I mean, yeah, exactly. They can drink, man. And yeah, and it was uh, so there was like, and then there was a band called. <laughs> who was it? It was the worst. I remember we did Top of the Pops, and then we went out partying a few of the bands. And there was one band, like a boy band, really, and they were they were animals. What they call? Uh, well, they were a boy band. They called no Modern Romance. Remember them? Modern Romance, yes. Wow. 
lads, were they? I'm saying nothing, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Absolute lunatics. Absolutely, you know what I mean? It's the, it's the bands you don't, you know. It's the bands you don't think. I think it was modern romance. A blonde one, I'm pretty sure it was a Bishes, something like that. I'm sure it was them. <laughs> I could be getting sued, I could be wrong, but I'm sure it was something like that. I'm pretty sure, I think it was them though. As you've mentioned that, it's come to mind. Have you seen anyone live, perform live, that you were just blown away by, but you had zero expectations of them? So you, I don't know, you're with Wet Wet Wet, you think, uh, they're not going to be much live. And you've seen them and gone, oh man, they are fantastic. Yeah, I've got to think about that. I remember seeing Coldplay and not thinking they were fantastic, but going with my wife thinking they were going to be rubbish and they were actually really good. See, I'm so glad you said that because we've already mentioned that in an episode and I um, I stand by them. Live, they are fantastic. They're great. Stereophonics blew me away. I wasn't a massive fan of them, but I become I got friends with Kelly through, through Oasis. I got friends with Kelly and I went out. With, I told a story recently on, so we, we went to Oasis played at uh, Finsby Park, I think it was, and I played in the support band were on those label. I played drums for my friends, Proud Mary. We went to the after show after. Oh, hang on. You played drums for the Proud Marys? Yeah, they were my mates. I'd come back from Australia where I was living and the drummer had left and they said, well, you fill in for a tour. So I did a tour with them. It was really good fun. I loved it. It was weird though, being, being just a drummer, you know, not being part of the songs or arrangements or the live set. And I was like, <laughs> I found it quite boring. You know what I mean? Not them boring, boring just being a drummer. It was great. I had a great laugh with him. Still friends with him. Got on with him really well. And we supported Oasis. We played at that Glasgow Arena place with them. Uh, but we did Fidsby Park with them. And then we went to the after show. And it was in a little club off Tottenham Court Road. And I went and walked down with Kelly. This, is, this must have been 2001 or two. So it's not really we're at the peak, you know. And uh, it's only me and little Kelly. We got separated from them. And we get to the door. And it was a little back street. You could see it. And the, the counterfeit stones were playing. The, Colour band, the Rolling Stone, who were better than the Stones we'd seen a couple of weeks earlier. But you know. <laughs> so we get to the door, there's these, these bouncers, and I'm like, well, oh, we're okay, I've got Kelly here, we'll go in like that. And the guy goes, you got your passes, and we didn't. And I was like, oh no. It, and I went, uh, but we're, and the guy went, and I think he was from Manchester, and he went, oh, it's all right, guys, I know you are, you're from, from the Mondays, who's, who's your mate? <laughs> <laughs> true, true story. <laughs> And Kelly just went really quiet and shy. And I went, it's Kelly from Stereophonics. And he went, who? For who? Because I said, Kelly, the singer from the Stereophonics. And he wandered off, spoke to one of those, come back and went, go on then. And Kelly was like, <laughs> Kelly was really shy. And he's, and he's, he was from the north, the bouncer. And he must have, he pure, what are, the chance, what are the chances, you know? Exactly, what are the chances? Gaz Wheeling, get you in anywhere. We walked through the door, looked at Kelly, and I went, and I went sorry, mate. And he just burst out laughing. He just burst out laughing. So funny. Again, I've mentioned this. I was really lucky to be able to watch the stereophonics come up through the ranks um, back in South Wales. And honestly, they were so good live. They were so good. They, oh, because he's obsessive. He's obsessive. For dolls, stereophonics. In fact, I saw them supporting. I saw them supporting Paul Weller, and Stuart Cable actually got me and my uh, at the time girlfriend in just literally sneaked us in round the back into the gigs. We didn't have tickets. And they, I mean, they were better than Weller. I, I, I hate to say really? it. Oh yeah, they were better than Weller that night. A big Weller fan, me, but I don't, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you they had there, nothing yeah. to lose. I think, yeah, yeah. I think it was... Um, They're very powerful, aren't they, as well? For free. It would have been late 90s. And I just, I, I think Weller was just doing extra one-off gigs everywhere and maybe just wasn't oh, yeah, yeah. feeling no, it sort of thing. And Serophonics had nothing to lose. They're like, yeah, it was putting Weller. It's, oh. a, it's, a, it's a Welsh crowd and they just went for it and it was incredible. 
It is. Sometimes consciousness just connects, doesn't it? And it, he's obsessive, Kelly. He's obsessive. You know, he's one of them in the band. He's a part of a county of, you know, people in the band get annoyed by him, but they, they, need, they drive the band. And after it's like in the Mondays early on, it was Paul, Paul Ryder. Yeah. Uh, then it became me later, but Paul, me and Paul still. But like in the, I'm doing a, just back in a new, but another band called the Matthew, but we just reformed another, doing these new concepts called the Magic Village, which is named after the Northern Soul Club in Manchester in the 60s. It's a, it's a natural narrative. So instead of just doing an album, we're going to release a track once a month, and that month will be about the story about where we've society has found itself. It sounds a bit pompous, but it's going to be really good. And in that band, I'm the I'm the one Myvin hassling them. We've only just we've only just started doing it now, hassling them. You know, we just we did ten of the story love song uh, just just to cause we're in free studios, Presswich, Wigan, and Toronto of getting it together. So we just did that for a bit of fun, but it turned out so good, we're going to finish it and release it. So I've become that pest in the band, and Kelly's one of them. Kelly's driven, he's obsessed by it. He's sleep. Like, when I'm not playing music, I'm reading about it, I'm watching it, I'm thinking about it, or, you know, the arts, and, you know, obsessive me. Uh, we, we've spoke about this uh, lots of times about, about especially jazz music, because I'm not a fan, but I love watching it. And, yeah. Yes, do you need that? Do you need that in a live performance? Do you need one of the band to be like that? To be, absolute? I'm kind of one of the Mondays who keep, yeah, because I think because when we split up, I was on that stayed behind with you know, so I kind of did. I was a kind of you know, and Dan does it now, the keyboard player. We let him let him do it. People say, What do you got to be to be a band to make it? And it's like, you know, I've had people say, We've rehearsed six days a week, you can't rehearse six days a week, you got to be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you got to be, you've got to just. It's art, and not to the same pretentious. You've got to just give yourself to your soul to it, and you have, and, and and just believe it, and you've got to do it. And I was kind of like that. And but as I digress again, but got, as I'm going to flip flop back to that question, I think the person who really blew me away was, uh, and it's another little story. But sorry for being Mr. Orlando, you know, sound like a middle-aged man. In the no, that's what one here. Back in my day, but when we did uh, Top of the Pops and Stone Roses, Tina Turner was doing a, a pre-record. I can't remember what the song was. So she was there, but uh, as we'd all finished, we went to the bar. We'd been told that she was going to go in to do a pre-record. So me and Ian said, that's have got to go and see her. So me and Ian Brown slept back. And I remember there's these curtains. You went to the door and there's a curtain. curtain, And we're like, where is she? And they set up and everyone else's stuff was down. She set up. <laughs> the band walked through the door. And she walked through the door. And she's tiny. Yeah. Big hair walked past, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, she, and she just walked past. And, uh, and we looked at it from me and Ian Brown. Went, and we weren't sure it was her or not. And she got about 20 yards in front of Ian Brown went, Hey Tina, Tina, give us a give us a smile or something like that. He said, give us a wink. Go, Tina, and she just turned around and went, "Oh, you English boys," and carried on. And then she went on stage, <laughs> sang, and then they're doing the, the design checks, the sound checks, the singing, and it was just like it was just like this. You know, this is a dancing around the handbag era, but it just this amazing, it's an amazing voice. You just hear the best, don't you? You're simply the best, but get, get rid of that when you hear her. Oh boy! Well, I tell you, I tell you, around about that time when I first heard "Private Dancer," I thought that is a belter, and you know, you you can't you can't argue with that. That's a it's a, it's a beautiful tune with an, an amazing vocal performance. Really, I mean, simply the best is one of the most hateful pieces of shit I've ever heard. <laughs> but but "Private Dancer," I've got a lot of time for that tune. I think he might have been private dance that she's doing. I've got for that. It might be that. It her might, her that's performance on that is is you know one of her best since the the sixties and seventies. Oh, I'm just I'm a man. She's my favourite female singer. I think, and I'm not. I'm not really? talking about you know. I can see Turner. I mean, Ike Turner invented rock and roll. What a guitarist, and she was uh, just for them too.
So we're, we're going to um, try and do some qu um, quick fire questions, oh. and they never turn out to be um, quick. Uh, and I'm, I'm guessing with you guys, it's probably not going to be quick. Um, yeah. Um, Sorry, so, so what, the, your favourite voice, the favourite favourite vocalist that you've heard live? I've heard live would, would be Tina Turner, would but favourite vocalist is Marvin Gaye, Elvis Presley, uh, Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, John Lydon. But live. But live, it's, you'd, you'd say Tina Turner. I'd say Tina Turner that I've seen, yeah. What about male? Kevin Rowland was fantastic as well. Kevin Rowland? Kevin Rowland. Yeah. Okay. What's been your favourite gig of all time? Is there a standout gig that you what, have? Playing or seeing? Either, either or. Uh, seeing gig-wise, I'd probably... It was probably the first one because of seeing the specials. So that's probably my favourite. Playing uh, probably the first time we played GMX, probably. Oh, no, Ellen Road. Ellen Road is special. Wow, that's big for a, a Man United fan to say that. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, you know. The GMX one that you said, I had that on VHS. Is that the one that the, that you recorded and released? The first GMX game? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let's say yes, Alex. And by the way, by the way, before anyone goes, look at the pretentious, they're not sunglasses, they're bisexuals, bifocals. Oh, we didn't slip. Glasses, bisexual, I love it. Bisexuals, the bifocals. We're only recording the, uh, the audio, so don't yeah. worry about that. <laughs> oh, you can't say, all oh, right, okay. Okay, now I didn't have to have a shower then, did I? <laughs> we can still smell you. Yeah, can you? Oh, God. <laughs> um, what was your What was your worst gig? And this can be uh, as uh, with with the Mondays or um, as a punter. Your worst gig. Uh, worst gig was probably uh, playing. We played uh, University of London, and I just had a night where I couldn't play. It's just some of them days. That was a, that was a bad gig. Is that because you just felt you were off it? I kept dropping. I, I was off it, no doubt about that. But I kept dropping. <laughs> I just wasn't really. Just, yeah, I've had plenty of bad gigs. I've seen bad gigs. Uh, I don't know, I don't go on that many. I don't go on that many. Uh, i tell you what, I did digress again. Last year, here, Johnny Marr did three shows, one in a tiny venue called the Bell Underground. And then and they were absolutely blew me away how good they were. They were some of the some of the best gigs I've seen. In fact, I, I thought that was probably up there, Johnny Marr gig last year. He was that good. He's on, he's on form at the moment, isn't he? Really is on form. He is, he is. And his voice, his voice is super. That's what I said to him. I said, your voice is just, you know, and I actually liked Ferry's version to, to his Morrissey ones, maybe because of Morrissey's political opinions, but no, his voice was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. I think them last shows last year, Johnny Marlins, have probably been two of my favourite gigs of all time. They were that good. Before we close out the the podcast, I think it'd be, I'd like to ask you anyway, um, simply because I've I've seen you a couple of times solo. And we've sang on stage together. What do you mean? Well... That, well, that is it. One of my greatest moments on stage. Oh, it's good to laugh, that. A bit of cider, a bit of raid. So a bit of background. Um, you know, my friends and I were programming the afternoon at the house party in Kendall Calling, a lovely festival. And Gaz very wonderfully came along to do his solo set. You, acoustic guitar, you've got your laptop, uh, and you play covers of the Mondays. And for, for some reason, you said to, to me and... Well, they're not covers. Nice, I was going to say, you can't really call them covers when he... <laughs> well, are they? No, but it's sort of... It, it, I don't I want know, to... I'm only joking. didn't have the band. You're on your own. You had... You I know, I'm, I'm, I'm only kidding. I know, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I, I'm not precious. I'm not precious. I'm only joking. I'm not Sorry, precious. I just found that amusing. It's like accusing band. McCartney of playing Beatles covers. What, what a, yeah, what's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's what, all right. I'm only, I'm only messing around. I've just, just been... Yeah. That is one of the most stupid things I've ever said, though. That's being facetious. Go on, go on. I'm only joking. But... You're right to pull me up on it. 
but as <laughs> you, you asked me and and uh, a friend of ours called our kid who's a poet uh, and has mm. his own band up here in manchester who's a it's great performer, got, uh, great guy yeah, yeah. and um we we joined you on stage for step on which is a cover I which is a ironically so, yes. a, yeah, so you were right <laughs> i was finally right i was joining you on stage to recover yeah. so a welshman a scots and englishman walking about and the welshman was right exactly <laughs> and, and we were on stage and um, and it was it was one of the daftest but I can oh, just a bit tell you, yeah. it was one of the most joyful moments of my whole life. And yeah, it was I, funny. It was a good laugh. We're good funny. Just to, yeah. Well, but you, you sort of, I'm not sure how much you understand this, but you, you know, you grew up listening to the specials. You went to see them live. The Mondays won those bands for me. And so it, even within my family, it was, it was a thing that I would always copy Bez's dancing and I hammered that <laughs> album. My mum and dad knew it, you know, it would be on in the car and it was, it was always a thing. And so for me to be on stage in my wellies doing my best Bez next to... The Welshman in wellies, come on. <laughs> next to Gaz from the... Now you're, now you're Dave, My mate, now. Dave, our kid. It was just, it was just brilliant. And do you know what was really good? was seeing the crowd, because I don't know how much you remember, and I've got footage. <laughs> I've watched this video quite a bit. As soon as the crowd hear, hear that, that those opening chords, they go flipping mental. And it might as well have been the whole band on the stage there. D are you enjoying I want what I really want yeah, to Yeah, I enjoyed that, you know, because, it, I mean, I don't, think a, I don't think a festival tent after going on after our kid playing Acoustic Monday song slow was going to be a great thing. So that made it a little bit more, you know, a little bit more <laughs> up-tempo, a little bit more exciting. And he was, he was good, you know. I'd, uh, he was, I, I, enjoy, I really enjoyed that. It was good laugh. Not, he killed, it's a festival, don't take yourself too serious, you know what I mean? So yes. it's funny because you're saying that, I, same with Terry, I got, we got to know Terry Hall. We, we toured with the Colourfield and became friends of his, he's just a top bloke. Great. But just after that time, when the Mondays were probably at the peak, I was, he, he was a big United fan, so he used to go to Old Trafford, Terry. And I was stood outside Old Trafford, like, moving up all night, and I had one of them, uh, Naughty ecstasy things. I don't, someone must have put it in a drink. <laughs> I've been up all night and I've gone to the United game. I was still in the forecourt, me, me, me and my friends. This must have been about 1990. I'd had a spliff and I was very naughty and I'd had a beer and I was just stood there talking to my friends. And this guy came up and got right in my face and started talking to me. You know, and I was just like, oh, and I, and I thought it was this guy from Salford who I knew. And I was kind of just not dismissive, but I was like, oh, yeah. And then as he walked, got six foot away, I realized it was Terry Hall. No. So I ran after him. I went, Terry, I wasn't. And I thought, he thinks I'm being Charlie. Big potatoes with my mates here. And I ran over to him and I went, I, didn't, I just didn't realise it. And to this day, I still think he does. And I've said it to him every time. I feel, still think he thinks he was being Charlie. Big potatoes. And I, I wasn't, I really wasn't. Because you know what I expect Terry all just to come up to you and talk, do you? You know. And it blew me away. He's a top bloke. <laughs> I, was I was driving my mates to from Cardiff to a gig. They had a band. Uh, to a gig in London, they were playing the the Camden Barfly, and we stopped somewhere in Camden. We could not find where this flipping venue was, and we stopped because mm. we saw this bloke, and we just wound the window down. Says this bloke, "Do you know where the Camden Barfly venue is?" And he was like, "Oh no, sorry, lads." We drove off. As we were driving off, I just went, "Lads, that was Terry Hall." <laughs> We happened to stop Terry Hall of all people and ask him where a music venue was, and he didn't know. So that's my. That's my you know, I've, I've got a funny. It's funny. I was coming home from. Uh, we did some music, uh, me and Sean, for this film called Goal, and it was released by Oasis label. label. So they had a big 
what do you call them things in the premiere? Oh, yes, I remember that. Yeah, premiere and cut in, whenever it was. Anyway, so we went on quite, quite late at night and we had a hotel somewhere. So I was walking back with, wasn't it Sean? I was walking back with someone else. I was walking, it was pissing down. It was like a Wednesday night in London and I was walking back to the hotel and I had a, a joint. I didn't, I didn't have a light. I was like, fuck it. As I'm walking, just randomly, it wasn't too late. No, it mustn't have been too late. Maybe around midnight, quite late for us these days, isn't it? Maybe, <laughs> maybe midnight. And there's a guy stood and just stood on his own door with a big beard. He had a big growl, a big beard. Stood, stood in the doorway like he was posing for a photograph, like, you know, uh, for an album cover or something. You know, that kind of thing. Just yeah. a, and I went over to him and said, oh, have you got a light, mate? And I tried to cover it up so it, could, so it looked like a cigarette, not a split like that. And he got, he, he gave me a light out of his pocket and then he let a cig up. And I said, I don't know. Terry, what are you doing here? And he went, I've just come out for some fresh air. It's Terry Hall again. <laughs> maybe loads of people, maybe this there could be a film made just of people around in the mean Terry Hall in Limburg. He wasn't, but he had a big beard. And I was like, what is this brilliant? How bizarre is that? Yeah, he hadn't been at, he hadn't been at the, to do anything. He was just random. He just come out for some fresh air for a signal to live somewhere nearby. I've got these tons of Terry Hall stories about it. But if you put it out there, have you got a Terry Hall story meeting randomly on the street? Honestly, the there's some kind of being John Malkovich thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here. Yeah, I bet there is. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll get my mate Chanty on Twitter to back me up because we still laugh about that, the time that we stopped Terry Hall to ask him. And we didn't know who it was until we were speaking. In fact, the boys didn't even know who it was. And as we were driving off, I just went... Boys, that was Terry Hall. We should have literally pulled him in the car and taken him to the gig with yeah, us. No, but... He's a top boy, too shiny. Yeah. But but anyway, you, are you? Do you enjoy performing these solo gigs live? How does it feel without a band? Do you feel sort of? I didn't because I've never done it before, and, it, and, and I'm not very computer thingy. So I was having problems with the computer, and it was weird. Uh, my I'm deaf as a post, so it's unless I could hear properly. I'll be singing that key. So I kind of, I've just the last couple I did, I got to enjoy. So I'm, I'm, I'm there now. And then when I do some more, I'm going to stand up now. So I was hiding, you know, doing the drum thing, stand up yep. and play. So I've, I've, and it's kind of all clicked in now. So what was it that made it click in? And what, what, what was, what, what changed? I think just, just, just putting the hours in and doing it and doing yeah. the live thing from the stage. And I, I'd, I'd get really drunk. I don't, I don't like, you know, I don't like people looking at me which is a stupid thing when you're going to be singing with an acoustic guitar or So it just clicked in the last couple of gigs and I'm just, now I know, I stand, I've never stood up, stand up and play and do it. So the next time I do them, I'm not going to use a computer, I'm just going to do pure acoustic, I think. And Ashcroft does that very well live. Ashcroft's really good live, just an acoustic. Were you worried about how the fans would take it at all? Were you, were you, you know, nervous about that or was it just... Not really. I mean, it's funny, I did, I did one in London. Uh, I didn't think people would really care, you know. Uh, but they did one in London at Alan McGee's night in Soho. You know, no one in the band ever talks to me about it. You know, obviously we don't, we just don't talk about it. It's like having, a, you know, if, if your wife knows you're having an affair, not that I am or I ever have, of course. But, you know, <laughs> you don't want to talk about, you know, ignorance is bliss almost. So we just don't talk about it. And uh, I don't really talk to Alan McGee, who manages us. We didn't talk to him about it. He just said, oh, I'll put you on one night. So me and Dan, Dan played electric guitar, went down, did it. Not many people there, we just played it. And he put, he put this rock and roll Thursday night gig on. Afterwards, Alan McGee came to me and said, you know what, guys, I was dread- dreading the worst and I absolutely loved that. It was, your voice was right, it was right, I loved it. I've listened back to it, he, said, he did a video of it, sent it back to me and it's bloody awful. But yeah, we got really drunk. <laughs> we, yeah. But the guy who runs the night is a guy who's a DJ who's, who Alan uses as a kind of musical oracle, if you like, because he knows his stuff. And he was a big Mondays fan. But he came up to me afterwards and said, 
I'm a massive Mondays fan. I've been at tons of gigs. I was dreading tonight and thinking I thought it was going to be dreadful and appalling. And it absolutely blew me socks off. And he said, I absolutely loved it. Got, so Alan was like, come do my next gig in Notting Hill. And then obviously the pandemic happened. So that was good for me. So then I know I'm on the right track, but I need, I need to make it better. I need to do stop hiding and put a proper show on. You know, but I've just got used to people looking at me. I was saying to Alex that the last human person that I saw before the lockdown was you. Because yeah, in that sauna. Yeah, yeah, in that sauna. But, but it, so. <laughs> the Corinthian, was it called? Or gladiators, gladiators. Yeah, exactly. You were sitting on my lap and... Um, it was. It was gladiators. a great afternoon. And he was like, were you sitting on those He was like, you know, it was a... <laughs> <laughs> no, because I because I I played I played some sax on on Kinky Afro, which like like uh, like Alex, that was a bit of a, a bucket list. And you did it at top job, and it's not we're going to really look at that. It didn't work, didn't work out not your bit, the old song, but the saxophone needs to play more prominent part. Going to get remixed and do that. It's going to get released. Well, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to put any pressure. No, on no, it does. It will. I like it. He made us. He give a song a different direction. No, no, definitely. I want more of it. <laughs> no, that was great. I enjoyed that. I think saxophone was in some Sean always wanted to play. He was always. With, like saxophones really it's never i never i never liked them but i, I think because of john coltrane's just blown my mind you know since john coltrane well it's coming back this you hear a bit more i mean because is it sam fender's got some yes it is sam stuff fender. yeah and, he, and he's got some proper 80s sounding saxophone in that if i oh sax crimes yeah but it's, it's good though it's, it's he's a permanent member of his band chris oh is he yeah yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah okay yeah. i've, I've exactly still not seen sam play but if uh if and when the world when the world gets back to normal, can we expect to see maybe then a, a few more solo gas wheeling? Oh, good. tons of them. Yeah, I think we're going to, we're going to do this. The, the, the project to do now, the Magic Village, that's going to be the that's going to be the forefront. I'm going to do that. That's that's me passion because obviously the Mondays don't get to write songs anymore. The Mondays I can do with my eyes closed, so I do it. And I enjoy doing the Monday stuff. It's really good. This Magic Village is, is uh, with two lads who are just a lot more tired than me, and we just. Just something unique that we create. So I'm into doing that. I know, you know. And you're going to try and perform. Are you, will you try and perform live as the magic? Well, that's what we're going to do. I think we're going to. Yeah. I think we're going to. It's different though. It's not like a gig. It's more like a. It's performance. It's more like a, a stage play. Yeah, it's more like a stage play. It's not just. It's there's going to be narratives and filming and. Uh, it sounds very theatrical, poncy, and a bit uh, pretentious. No, but it's doesn't... not like that. It's dark. It's more. more kind of a uh, more like the wall. And you guys are in three different. Cities and Cities, yeah. different con- continents. Yeah, and then we'll get together. We've done a couple of tracks together, and we, we just sounds ace. So the, con- the album's going to be a concert. It's a story. And one of you's in Presswich. Am I right in saying? One's in Presswich, Johnny. Yeah, you're in Presswich, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's in Presswich near Heaton Park train station. So he's probably on my road. Is it? Well, he's just uh, get your sacks out. He's not far. He's <laughs> not far from there. All oh, right. I don't know what. Anyway, yeah, Johnny's there. That's an early studio. It's like a cross between the wall. You know what? This sounds. Wrong, but the only way I can describe it, a cross between the wall, War of the Worlds, and something dark, some sort of underground film. Something. I don't know. It's not. It's 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 not just music. It's not. It's going to be music and story. I think it's you know. It's going to be. It's interesting. If you think that's arty farty, then I'm all. Well, it's not arty farty. I don't mean I. Like, I love art. Anyway, everyone does. And you know, Tony Wilson taught me not to be not be afraid of art. And that's what I loved about it. He wasn't you know, the Mancunas like I don't like art. I just want to rock and roll. I don't like mm. it. Arts for policies. You know, don't wear hats. Don't do this. Don't you know? Don't, Tony Wilson told us that you can do you know that's do what you want. And I love it. And it is, it's going to it's really the, the, the concepts a word I didn't want to use, but it's a concept. And it's going to be the gig's going to be a gig. It's not just going to be the stage. The old venue is going to be a gig. It's going to be it's interesting. Got great ideas. And the tunes are phenomenal. Uh, but. I would say that anyway, but they really are. And I'm not, and I don't say that lightly because I'm a miserable bastard. No, I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Well, we've got to 
we've got to bring this to a close because your mighty reds are going to be kicking off yeah they're going to be kicking off soon yeah so we like to finish by talking about recorded live music so um, live albums or live tracks that we love to listen to and actually i found some of the mondays ones uh, online that I've I've not heard before actually. Oh, really? and, um, <laughs> the look of fear and I know I do love it. I, th- I honestly I just I lo- I love nothing bad said about Mondays. But w- what about you? Who what uh, what live albums or live tracks do you enjoy listening to, guys? There's a what's going on Marvin Gaye one that's I can't remember where that was recorded in seventy one. That's phenomenal. He's that's uh, ridiculous. That's one of my favourites. Yeah, just but he's just one of my favourite singers of all time. There's a uh, the Cohen live Isla White. That's good. Bob Dylan Desire live. But I think that as a, for albums, but for a single performance, it's got to be I Can See an Eternal 1971 live in Accra, Ghana, which I know well because the wife's family are from there originally. That my father's from there. I know Accra, the city very well. Uh, yeah. Life McCrow, 1971, they're doing a cover of uh, yeah, I've Been Loving You Too Long and it's just mind-blowing. Their vocals are singing, Ike Turner's guitar playing, he's just, he's, and there's just some interaction behind them that's, that Mary Whitehouse would have banned. It's quite naughty, but it's just phenomenal. <laughs> the way she uh, caresses that microphone and Ike's going... <laughs> It's, 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 it's terrible, but it's fantastic. Well, I, I tell you, I, I didn't think that we would be going down so many Tina Turner avenues uh, in this, in this conversation, but I'm all here for it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, she's brilliant. Knock yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Thank you very much, Gaz Whelan from the Happy Mondays and, um, and Magic Village. And uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank yeah, you, guys. Anytime. Take care. I'll just see you soon, but I'm over. I know I'll have to have that pain. Guys, wheeling there. What an absolute diamond. Oh, man. My melons are well and truly twisted. Christopher. Well, they were before the episode, but they're more twisted now. Can you see? I say, see, I told you, told you all, what a what a great chat that was. What a great chat. Thank you, Gaz Whelan. And as always, with all the episodes, we try to make this podcast a bit different because we want it to be a more rounded experience. So you don't just get to listen to the episodes here. If you go to our website, uh, the Gig Stories website. Uh, and the web address, Chris, is www.gigstoriespodcast.com. <laughs> I love the www. Part of Gaz's, yeah, www. Oh, and sorry, when you go to that website, you'll see all the episodes, and there's an individual page for each of our guests. And on there, we put pictures, videos related to uh, the interview and we put a playlist for each guest so get over there and check out our page on gaz yeah so the echo and the bunny men concert that he that gaz was talking about oh flipping love them it wasn't at stanley park it was at sefton park sefton sefton park i should have known that and i found footage of it on youtube which is now on the website so you can view i think there's about 20 25 minutes of that i I knew it existed 
But I didn't click when we were talking then that it was Sefton, not Stanley. I spoke to Gaz today and he confirmed that it was Sefton. It was 1982. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Ah, you should watch the footage because it is um, great and it's very typical early bunny men. Yeah, I mean, the audio is a little bit ropey, but yeah, it's, it's great as a document of what happened there. Um, it's fantastic. So yeah, it's on the website now. If you're listening and you don't really know a lot about the bunny men, just go and jump in. And literally anywhere, people always say, oh, where should I start? Well, anywhere, because their their recent stuff is uh, is fantastic too. Now, we have had a few people ask us again about our wonderful theme tune to the podcast. And in fact, Dan Diamond has messaged. He's building a uh, like a sun house, summer house in his garden. And he says that our theme tune to the podcast has become the theme tune to his Easter holidays as he's out in the garden building it because he's listening to all the episodes. Really? Yeah. So as a reminder to you all, that theme tune, which is fantastic, is by the wonderful James Holt. And if you don't know James, go and check him out too. He's a fantastic singer-songwriter. And it would be uh, remiss of me to not mention Chris and I, our wonderful sons, Gabe and George, because all that music you hear throughout the episode, the interstitial music, bits in between, our 12 and 10-year-old boys have done that music. Honest gov, I haven't done it. I actually haven't got the talent to do it. Can I just say 11-year-old boy now? Of course, he was 11 last Sunday. And listener, when you're listening to this, it will have been Chris's birthday last Sunday. And he's years old. Can you believe it? I know. It, it's so, already been a good innings. Let's face it. It's been a good innings, hasn't it? Thank you for listening. Loads of love to James Holt, uh, to Gabe and George for the music. And keep messaging us, emailing us. You can find us all over social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gig Stories Pod. Send us your photos, your memorabilia, and answer the questions that we ask in the episodes as well. We want to know your favorite gigs, your worst gigs, the funniest thing to happen at a gig, who your perfect headlining festival act is. We just want to know because we love it. And we will see you next week. See you later. Bye.